I'm actually taking right now a course on Coursera that's offered through Wharton Business School on operations management. And it is like my calling. <laughs> like, I love this course so much. It is literally this application of manufacturing ideas applied to non-manufacturing context. So like, what are the operations of a subway restaurant? What are the operations of a hospital? What are the operations of a X? And as you can imagine, I am trying to fold this very interesting discipline into my thinking at Monograph and how to help architects recognize that the projects that they do are actually in a longer picture, in a longer time horizon, a practice of repeated things. And when you have any kind of repetition, you're actually entering into the world of operations instead of just one-off projects. Welcome to our Roundtable Chats, a fast-paced discussion series dedicated to opening up the conversation in the architecture and engineering industry. We want you to join in the conversation each week where we share what inspires us, what we want to improve in the industry, and how we can help each other get there. This is a new event, and we'll be joined weekly by members of the Monograph growth team here. Everyone on the roundtable today studied and practiced in the industry, so we're very aware of the pain points and stressors that come with working in the industry. Welcome to our Roundtable Chats, a fast-paced discussion series dedicated to opening up the conversation in the architecture and engineering industry. We want you to join in the conversation each week where we share what inspires us, what we want to improve in the industry, and how we can help each other get there. We encourage participation from the audience. Just raise your hands and we'll bring you on so you can share your own experiences. And the responses to today's question, what do you geek out on? Our most answered question from our 1K interview. All right, let's get started. Chris and Christy, I want to hear what you geek out on. Christy, let's start with you. So, well, thank you for having me here. I'm really excited about this. So if you haven't asked me this before, I would have probably just like froze in place. You know, those kind of questions that you might know the answer, but you have never thought into it, like never had a big thought about it. I think I have three things that I really geek out into. One would be that I've recently discovered, though, it would be hand rendering. That's my field related geek. I started like a few months ago. I always thought I was like terrible in school until I actually had to start doing it at work. And I just thrive on the whole conversation about just, you know, like it's not wasting time, but it's just like being able to let my imagination flow, like doing details. And when it comes to personal geeks, it would be one finances, which is contrary to the creative side, but it's more about the structure. I can read books and books about it, that precision it takes. So like budgeting, that's my thing. And the other one would be baking. It's really precise. And after a long week, that's my thing. I really enjoy making other people have all those sweets. But what about you, Chris? Yeah, that's really cool. Two, the first two things that I geek out about a lot of stuff, a whole lot of stuff, but yeah. I have very, very varied interests, but two things came to mind. So the first one, which is the shorter answer is, I had noticed a couple of years ago that when I would read an article or anything, like any kind of writing, I would want to edit the writing. <laughs> it was like a natural <laughs> thing that I had is like an impulse to edit writing. 
And that skill of like editing or geeking out on like how writing can change, how a message can change, how the whole idea can change, perhaps, or the delivery through writing is like a big thing I geek out on. I have this little Chrome extension in my browser where if I click a button, it will turn the web page into like an editable text. And it's almost like how I read sometimes is I will edit the writing as I'm reading it so that I can read it in front of me the way that I want to understand it. And there's all sorts, I can get into more about this, but there's like some really interesting ways of thinking about writing, especially in a business context or marketing or different kinds of contexts. And this is particularly interesting to architects because architects are like known for being extremely indirect in their writing, extremely long-winded and undecipherable in how they talk or, or not how they talk so much as how they write. So I'd love to talk more about this, but the second one I'm a huge geek about, and I'm definitely going to present something at Section Cut about this. There's so many interesting ideas in manufacturing that are applicable to non-manufacturing contexts. So all about operations, but they haven't made their way outside of manufacturing. And a really interesting example of this is like one of the disciplines that's not manufacturing that has learned a lot from manufacturing is software engineering. So there's a lot of words about like continuous improvement, Kanban boards, stuff like that, that are picked up from ideas from the Toyota production system, which is like this revolutionary change in how to think about manufacturing operations. And there's like a ton of ideas that have dramatically influenced software engineering. But what's really interesting is that there are still so many other ideas in manufacturing that have not been exported to software engineering. So the way I think about it is like, there's still so many ideas there and they are so applicable, you know, not only to like software engineering, but to other aspects of life, like quantifying repeatable things. And I'm actually taking right now a course on Coursera that's offered through Wharton Business School on operations management. And it is like my calling. <laughs> like, I love this course so much. It is literally this application of manufacturing ideas applied to non-manufacturing context. So like, what are the operations of a subway restaurant? What are the operations of a hospital? What are the operations of a X? And as you can imagine, I am trying to fold this very interesting discipline into my thinking at Monograph and how to help architects recognize that the projects that they do are actually in a longer picture, in a longer time horizon, a practice of repeated things. And when you have any kind of repetition, you're actually entering into the world of operations instead of just one-off projects. So I have so much to talk about with this, but I want to keep going and ask Sylvia what she geeks out on. Yeah, definitely. And also while you're talking, I just like have so many thoughts coming to mind. Like even Christy was like, Oh yeah, lots of architects bake like very good bakers too because they're very good with the precision and like the steps, I yeah. think. And I think like it's the creative expression and the preciseness that like speaks to them. And then while you were talking, Chris, I was like, oh yeah, did you check out that like This American Life where they like try to like implement the Toyota factory, I think here and like why the culture fit didn't work. So like that's actually why I wanted to have the what do you geek out about topic because from the 1k interview just reading everyone's answers it's so different there were some about like language or science fiction or like maybe like playing games like video games or like going to art history museums like it really 
covered the entire spectrum of any passion you can have, but you can also kind of see how those passions also sometimes directly influence how they practice and other answers in the interview as well, like what their philosophy is. So my geek out is kind of broad. Like I would describe it as ideas. Like I love conversations like these where we talk about things that don't necessarily exist. Like we're not talking objectively about like the physical like description about something. We're talking just about ideas. I think one way this can be described is how there's words that only exist in some languages. They don't exist in other languages because it'd be like a description that doesn't have the context into it. And I just really like that. I think a very common example is like, there's 27 words for snow when you go into like the North like and Eskimo region. But we just say like snow, sleet, ice, right? Because it's not as specific for us. We don't need that specificity. So I just love sharing passions, talking about those ideas. I had a conversation with someone at Monograph just about like the word desktop and like save button being a floppy disk and all those things that don't exist and are now like antiquated, but you can't really change them because what would you change them into? They kind of exist there now. Does anyone in the audience want to share their own geek out as well? I think there's a raise your hand button and then we can give you access to talk as well and share with us. Yeah, as we wait for others, Sylvia, tell me about like a, is there like a word that you've discovered in a different language that like has resonated deeply with you? Yes, and it's funny because it's actually, there's this word in Chinese, I think it's like grand fun, but my Chinese is not very good. I'm very much like an American Chinese so I found the meaning through Wikipedia. And like when I tell my friends about it, they're like, oh, it means fate. But I think the Wikipedia description was like the happenstance, like circumstance that something happened. Like it was just like fortunate enough for it to happen, which I think fate you think of as like, it will definitely happen, right? Like it will happen. But I like the idea of it like, oh, you were lucky enough that it just all aligned and it worked out because I kind of feel like that's how life is, right? Like it can go many different ways. And when it works out almost as if it was like meant to be, but it just feels lucky that it was. So, and then I think like there's Danish words, you know, like Higa is like very appropriated now, but at one point in time, like I think it describes something very culturally specific to Danish culture that didn't exist in America before, but now we, everyone wants to be cozy. Yeah, it's also really interesting. Like one thing that actually comes to mind is like every discipline has its own language. and sure. One of the ways of thinking about that is like getting annoyed by that fact. Like, how come lawyers have all these words that mean like another word? And part of that, if you think about it, is almost like search engine. Like, how could you only find results for this one type of situation in the context yeah. of X? You know what I mean? Actually, my favorite type of like weird, I don't know if misnomer is exactly the right word, but it's like a word that means one thing that is non-intuitive but has an intuitive sounding name. It's like name something that has like another association. So it's easily misunderstood from someone from outside of the discipline. I love those kinds of words because it, it sort of reveals like how obtuse, I mean, obviously a discipline like is formed through like culture. So it's not like there's one designer of the names of things, but it is kind of funny when you discover that like, the baggage that comes from one culture and all the words that are used or discipline that, you know, how they talk about things is, you know, in some sense, like a world that you can enter and explore, but other times can be a trap, you know? So like, if you are coming 
directly, and most of us are, you know, we're talking about coming from architecture, which everyone understands does not help you completely understand the entire world. That means that like, there are probably a whole set of other vocabularies that would probably help explain other things that you've been noticing through your life that architecture has not helped solve for you. So like on the other point about like some words in architecture that I really do love, my favorite word in architecture is a condition. I think it's like the best abstraction of a chunk of something. Like it could be a chunk of space. It could be a chunk of material, could be a detail, could be the scale of like an entry, could be the scale of like some kind of corner condition. But I've always loved how the condition sort of is this abstraction of space and material and potentially program like all in one one term that gets used all the time at like for example in monograph is context which is as a different association in architecture context is like you know everything beyond the site but in context in like a business setting is almost like scale actually in architecture whereas like you zoom out at this broader zoom out you have this kind of context awareness of the problem and then when you zoom in I mean, you just describe it as the next context, I guess. But yeah, Christy, I'd, I'd love to hear from you too, like some other words that if you have any that you've really latched onto or felt are kind of strange in the context of, of architecture or maybe another discipline like, like baking. <laughs> I don't know about baking, but Sylvia was talking about those words. One of the things that came to my mind was in Spanish, you know, like there is like a middle term for between caring and loving. And that's get it when you like, so there is not an actual word in English. You either care for someone or you love them, but there's no like middle term. There's no middle ground. So whenever you start like your friends, like you say to a friend, like te quiero, you don't say te amo. Te amo like is reserved to your parents or your significant other. So for me, it was like really hard to say like, I love you to everyone. <laughs> so I think like that middle ground, like having that middle ground is funny. It's different. Oh, that's definitely true. I feel like it's so common to say I love you to like all your close ones, like yeah. regardless of like how the scale of like how much you love them for sure. Yeah, I thought that was funny. When you were talking about all these words that get used, I feel like every single word in architecture is used differently than like someone who uses it in a day-to-day -day context. And it's like, just like flip to any page of your drawing set and like pick a phrase. And you could probably like use that phrase to like name your Instagram blog or like, like anything. Because it's all abstracted and like reused and like given new context, for lack of a better word. In this conversation around words, I came across at some point this really interesting idea about a limited set of words making it easier to, I think, translate between languages. So it's almost like a compression of the language that if you almost think about like, it's like reducing a fraction, like imagine all the potential synonyms, like broadly speaking of many terms. And if you were to take all of those away and compress them to the few concepts, like the thousand words are needed as like building blocks for communicating simply with people. And also so that I think the context here was either for language learning at all, or maybe like just how to help children learn language or something like that. But I really love this idea because one of the things around writing, especially with architects <laughs> who need to transition to a business context is like often the most challenging problem 
with any text is that people stop reading it before they're done. And one of the best ways to solve for that is to make your sentences shorter, to make them more direct, meaning that everything has like an action instead of saying the action at the end of the sentence, to make every sentence simpler and to basically reduce all things that could be probably using some like complex synonym, compressing it down to the most absolutely simplest way of putting it. And I've been thinking a lot recently about this idea of like a language, almost like if you could put text in and it will convert down all of the synonyms, complex synonyms into the most simple form and then restructure every sentence. So it's always a active sentence and break out every compound sentence into its own sentence. I would love that kind of tool to basically, it'd be the fastest way to like make sure that way more people were finishing what was written. And this is something I always remember from architecture school specifically is like, you'd have these competition boards, you have all these projects or thesis books, stuff like that. The amount of material that was never even read or perceived, right? It's like all, because there was so much work to do to finish or one's portfolio. That's my perfect example. When I look at, you know, students work, they're trying to collect their portfolio. My top feedback every time is, will someone even finish reading this? What you'd prefer, actually a better scenario is make it easy to finish your portfolio. So it gets read twice instead of only 25% once. Right. So it's all related to this whole question about editing and words and words that people don't understand, you know, and how you put it. I see that Jasmine has her hand out. I'd love to bring her on. Hey, Jasmine. Thanks for joining. <laughs> I just want to say I absolutely love the round table session. I've been here from day one and all the conversation has been really helpful. And I'm very excited to see how it progresses <laughs> over time. Yeah. So what I usually geek out on, I kind of recently found out is um, the storytelling aspect of architecture. I absolutely loved my school and my studio, and I thought I loved the architecture portion of it, but I realized that I was actually more into the storytelling aspect of it. And yeah, even like I used to think <laughs> I loved playing games, but it turns out it was just I, I really liked watching my older brother playing games because I want to get to the ending and see how like the story progresses over time. And all the architects I loved also had great storytelling aspects or like fashion designers, Alexander McQueen, all of this fashion set is just really amazing. <laughs> and yeah, briefly for a time, I think I was kind of wondering if it would makes sense for me to be an architecture industry because I was more into the storytelling aspect of it and I feel like that specific skill set is very targeted for a very tailored like specific one percent of the client who can afford the work yeah <laughs> like vessels or brutal claws or <laughs> stuff like that and I think I was a little confused if whether if there would be a space for me, but I think now I'm starting to get more interested in um, maybe potentially like the metaverse where there's like absolutely <laughs> unlimited resources and no limitation on structural stability, anything. So that's what I geek out on. Very cool. And there's so many good points in there. Like we really should do metaverse in some way as a future roundtable <laughs> topic because there's so much like to unpack there. 
I also really loved what you said about storytelling. I had like, it was actually a consultant that was for my previous firm. They would come in and do these um, workshops to help you work on your presentations because being able to show your work to a prospective client is like, you know, very important part of the job. And my biggest takeaway from the workshop was actually that when you're speaking to the client or trying to give them some information, you want to help them. You want to make it easy for them to understand what you're trying to tell them and what your points are and make it as easy for them to receive the information as possible. And I think the same idea translates to your portfolios. Like when you look at them, what idea are you trying to tell the other person? And is it clear? Like, is there a lot of fluff language? Is your eye distracted from like what you're looking at on the on the piece of paper or screen? And then if you're presenting something, they even said like, you know, use your hands in a way to kind of like illustrate what you're talking, not like too much hand movements, but just to help the listener receive the information. And I really appreciated that as a way of like reframing how I deliver information. And definitely the best architects, I think that like that with memorable projects is because they were able to tell it in a way that really, um, really like that the person can really relate to that just like inspired them or like they just fell in love with. So I love all those points that you brought up, Jasmine. I think Jasmine made a great point when it comes to storytelling, because we know, you know, everyone, all the architects have like this creative and all this imagination. but. That's when you come with the concept, right? But how do you explain all of this to your client? Like what's inside your head? Like, yes, you can draft everything. You can create your presentations, but it all comes like to the storytelling. How do you sell your idea? So I think that's a great point Jasmine just made. Thanks a lot, Jasmine. Very nice. Yeah. We'd love to hear some more perspectives from people. In the meantime, um, I wanted to ask about uh, this hand rendering that you've been doing. I'm curious, like, what has it been like? When did you pick it up? And what's it been like developing that as a skill for yourself? Like, is that something you started even in architecture school? Or is it more recent? It's more recent, actually. So I started probably in architecture school making a few. It wasn't great, I would think. And then because, you know, like, in architecture, you just like started like leaning towards like rendering and using Lumion, V-Ray and all this software. So that soft skill, I would call it, it doesn't get as explode as it should or as it could. So my job is luxury residential and, you know, like you connect with that sentimental side, I guess, and it's a great way to sell it to the client. And my manager who used to do all of this, he was like back with work and he was like, Christy, can you help? And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. You know, that's not my thing. Like I haven't touched like a copy marker since probably my first year of school. And I started helping out slowly and watching tutorials and getting into it. And it's just, so my favorite days are usually Mondays and Fridays because in my own schedule, that's when I do my hand renderings and I can just, you know, like plug in my favorite podcast and just go like with it and being able to express that shadow lighting contrast and detailing stone and plants and all of the things that just like get lost so I recently discovered that so I've been doing that for a little over a year and I just like love it love it and I can just like go down like TikTok or reels on Instagram and just watch as many tutorials I can do like hours and hours of it 
it's fine. I love stories, like talking about stories, like I love stories like that, where I'm so, here's another thing I'm kind of geeked out on is this problem of learning beyond school, you know, and we're calling it here geeking out, which is kind of like, you know, it's related to maybe an obsession or something like that. But Mm -hmm. I love the stories where people are picking something up and developing a skill they actually practice professionally that they built from scratch after school. You know, it sort of shows you how much skill and learning and capability is remains to be developed after school that doesn't even get trained at work. You know, you don't learn it at work, but you sort of see an opportunity at work. And then you find a way to like channel, you know, this interest and then can actually apply it directly to practice quite soon, you know, compared to how long it, instead of thinking about it as like, okay, well, I got to go through another school's length of time before I could put this into practice. It turns out that you could actually apply new approaches, new skills entirely in your professional situation from hearing about it to actually putting into practice, like actually very quickly. And I love this story like this because I feel like despite how much we talk about it, there's always this sense that like, I'm not qualified or I don't know how to do it. I mean, the most common thing you hear about all the time is like the imposter syndrome kind of thing. And this is just such a perfect kind of example of how much in the world we are trying things out at work and taking an opportunity. And the best thing to do is to find a place or build a place where that's encouraged and where people go from feeling like a beginner and a student to feeling capable and supported to try in a professional situation. There's so much each of us can do to reduce this feeling of being unqualified because there really are plenty of opportunities every day to try to put something into practice. So I love this example, the hand rendering, because it's also really cool because of how like you're someone who's coming from a highly advanced rendering setup and is like finding actually demand in the market for a simpler, more analog solution in your client base. So very, very cool, Christy. Yeah. I also like the your imposter syndrome topic. It's really hard because, you know, like we often want to keep growing and challenging ourselves and learning and picking up new skills. So it's interesting, like, where do you cross that line between, you know, I'm just like in the process of learning versus like, yeah, this is a new skill I have. So it's like the constant challenge of back and forth. Yeah, we're out of time now, but clearly imposter syndrome needs to be an upcoming roundtable topic. Yeah. Yeah, I'll add it into the queue. There's so many things actually from this that I want to talk about more. There's actually even like a second question I had prepared in case like we went too fast through our geek out, which is I want to know like why we do what we do. Because I don't think we always go back to that and recognize that, but it's really important, right? That's like why we spend all these hours and such a large part of our life doing that. So also maybe a future roundtable topic. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Thank you everyone so much for joining. Come back next week where we'll talk about architecture professions other than just being an architect in the roundtable session every week, Tuesday at 10 a.m. PST or 1 p.m. EST. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks, Christy. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot. (laughs) Thanks all. And thanks, Jasmine, for jumping up to the stage to share your storytelling geek out. Very cool. Yes. See you all next week. Thank you. Bye now. Thank you. Bye. Hey, it's Sylvia from Monograph. 
Thank you so much for joining us here. At Monograph, we're building the number one practice operations platform for small to mid-sized architecture firms. Monograph is designed for architects by architects. Over 450 practices are using Monograph today to run the business side of architecture. You can start a free trial or sign up for a demo today at monograph.com. Find out what a practice operations platform like Monograph can do for your firm. Get started at monograph.com. Talk to you soon.